0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Erin Hesse, one of the hosts on this podcast, and today you'll be hearing from Deirdre Charles, one of our pastoral interns here at High Point, And he's going to be interviewing both Pastor Nick Gibson and Pastor Lloyd Biddle about Howard Thurman's book called Jesus and the Disinherited. They'll be specifically talking about the chapter on love, where they'll be discussing common barriers to loving each other across cultural lines, and how in Jesus, those barriers are broken down. Take a listen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. We're doing a second podcast on Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. There is a conference coming up, does anybody remember the date of that conference
1: april 20 let me i can pull it out all right so there's a conference coming up mm-hmm. at upper
0: house it's late april um, there's going to be a friday night event anybody can come to for like 25 bucks and it'll have some great stuff including a dinner and then there'll be the conference the following days and so uh thurman is somebody who's been read by evangelicals and liberal mainline churches and african-americans and he's really a crossover figure so um, we, we felt here like he's been really worth reading and talking to because it allows you to talk to a lot of different people. Did
1: you get that date? Yep, I have the date April 26th and 27th. That's a Thursday and Friday. Yeah, coming up. So
0: you, you can still sign up early bird. Um, so go to go to the website. I think it's just howardthurman.org, isn't it? I believe
1: so, howardthurman.org. But you
0: can, I think you can find the Gateway through the Upper House website. So anyway, we had our conversation today, Lloyd and... Another young woman in that group led the discussion on the fifth chapter of the book, which is on love. So the chapters are the religion of Jesus, fear and the disinherited, dishonesty and the disinherited, hatred in the disinherited. And then the last chapter he broaches love and the disinherited. And he talks about how love is central to being a true human person, but also to be in right relationship with others as a true son or daughter of God and how fundamental that is and how that must be done in the local church for believers and and must be done multi-ethnically. He's really strong on that, too, which I think Lloyd will talk about a little bit. So, mm. Lloyd, you started that discussion today. Deeridge, I know you wrote some questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should introduce you. So most people have heard Lloyd Biddle, our associate pastor. He's with me here.
1: Yep, good and, to be here.
0: Um, Deeridge is um, our, our, I think, you're, well, technically you're a pastoral intern focused mm-hmm. in worship. Yep. And... Um, So he may be on our staff soon. We're kind of hoping he's gonna he's gonna take a part-time position with us while he does some seminary coming up. So Yeah, so guys here we are Mm -hmm. the love chapter
2: Uh, the cool part is uh, The the very first paragraph in Thurman's book Jesus and the Disinherited He talks about what he means by this love ethic. I think I'll start with that and as we jump into our discussion Uh, Thurman says this he says the religion of Jesus makes the love ethic central. This is no ordinary achievement It seems clear that Jesus started out with the simple teaching concerning love embodied in the timeless words of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might, and thy neighbor as thyself. Once the neighbor is defined, then one's moral obligation is clear. It's a memorable story Jesus defined the neighbor by telling the the story of the Good Samaritan. With sure artistry and great power, he depicted what happens when a man responds directly to human need across the barriers of class and race and condition. Every man is potentially of every other man's neighbor. Neighborliness is non-spatial. It is qualitative. A man must love his neighbor directly, clearly, permitting no barriers between. And so this is uh, kind of defining w- what... Um, Thurman means by by love that it, it needs to transcend our, our natural barriers
1: and um, and it's a high calling that he calls us to. Lloyd, what do you think are some of the challenges that we face uh, today as a Christian body as it pertains to this kind of love? Oh boy! Um,
0: At least it's not a broad question. Right, right, right. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> the barriers
2: to barriers to love. Man, our um, uh, time, how we use our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, the reasons why uh, perhaps we don't love each other as we ought is the, the busyness of how we go about our lives. We're getting mm-hmm. up, we're starting to run from the, 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 the time our feet hit the floor to the time we go to bed at night. Some of us would say we don't even love our children as well as we, mm. as we would like to. So I think, I think time and the way we live our lives has something to do with it i think a lot of us are feeling that the polarization that that seems to be uh more um, more specific nowadays black and white republican and democrat evangelical christian versus you know uh, mainline christian Mm -hmm. there just seems to be so many ways in which we are being asked to tribalize ourselves and that that seems to be creating more distance as opposed to more Unity. I think mm-hmm. these would be some of the barriers that,
1: uh, that we're trying to deal with mm-hmm. uh, in the church. I'd agree. Even in my own life, in terms of dealing with time, it's so easy to get jam-packed with things to do mm-hmm. or to go do this activity or join that group or be a part of this other thing. And it's easy to lose track of time and then lose track of loving people well, loving your friends, loving your family, loving the people around you, loving your actual neighbor. Yes. Like Thurman talks about loving your neighbor.
2: Yeah, love. Love takes time. <laughs> Getting to know people uh, takes time. Uh, being able to to work across our some of our natural barriers, especially if we're trying to deal with people cross cultural, takes effort. You know, and uh, so there's just got to be the this 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 heart, this this um, I don't know unction, um, the, the, a feeling of being compelled by the spirit. Um, Mm-hmm. A desire for the joy that would come mm. from from uh, effectively engaging in the work that it requires to love people, you know. Mm.
1: So in this chapter, Thurman also points out that the identities that there are identities that carry some kind of responsibility or number of responsibilities. For example, during the time of Jesus, that a person who was Roman carried with them the responsibility of being perceived as powerful or arrogant. Mm -hmm. How do we exercise real biblical love in the midst of these labels and identities where it's easy for people to perceive one thing over another and so forth? Boy, Uh, in our discussion today,
2: there was uh, one of the, um, I think his name was Mike, uh, one of the men in our discussion group was talking about, you know, I'm going to be, Facilitating a breakout discussion as we go through some of these uh, discussions from Howard Thurman, and as a as a white male, like, do I even is anybody going to even give me the opportunity to even speak on the love ethic Mm -hmm. when it when it comes to racial barriers? And so we've got these natural kinds of things that are there. So how do I get past it, Mm -hmm. man? I really it does come down to our individual character. It, it really does come down to: Are we? Do we listen? Do do we do we learn? Um, um, how how open are we to different ideas? Um, I think uh, I think if we're seen to be uh, gracious, we can overcome barriers. If we're seen to be kind of pride, prideful and arrogant, then we can mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it, I, I do think living out the the, you know, the, the the fruit of the Spirit is a way in which we can overcome these these natural barriers. So if someone sees the kindness, the love, the peace, the openness in me, mm-hmm. then they'll, they'll be mm-hmm. able to get past my privilege or maybe the apparent lack of privilege, mm-hmm. you know, that would be there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's hard, uh, the thing you had mentioned, that well, at least I've seen in my experience from others telling me, well, not in my experience, but other friends have been telling me mm-hmm. that they don't know how to speak when that's a problem. When they feel like people are perceiving them as perhaps a white person, right. that they can't speak to racial issues right? or they can't come in and speak the truth about it, even though it is true, all of a sudden people who are you know, non-white or, or people of color will assume something about them or will reject the truth that they have to say even though it's the truth
2: yeah yeah and so that's why i think you know these misunderstandings are going to happen that's why we got to stay in relationship with each other Uh, people are in a a a learning process you know i know i certainly am in a learning process you know and uh, i think over time you begin to when you when you're hit with truth (laughs) maybe the tenth time it starts to soften you a little yeah. bit, you say, Oh, they're right, me so true. <laughs> so, I think there's some of that is that, that mm-hmm. people are in a learning process, mm-hmm. and uh, you just have to kind of walk it through.
0: Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that, um, you know, in the, in the sort of contemporary like, if you're not the right intersectional rank, you don't get to talk mm-hmm. kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things you have to ask is, like, does that comport with what human beings are at all, right? And the answer, and the problem is, is that. There's at least two circumstances in which human beings will not listen to you. One is if you appear self-righteous, mm-hmm. and two is if you won't listen. Mm-hmm. Right? If you won't listen to that, nobody there's this old alpha mm-hmm. course rule, nobody wants to 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 listen until they've first been heard. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. It's good marriage advice, it's good anything advice, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And like if you want somebody to listen to you, you should listen to them first. And when they feel heard, they're ready to listen. And the other is if you mm-hmm. seem self-righteous. Now if you say, "Look, I'm black, Like I like I've suffered. Or if you say I'm white, we created Western civilization. You should like and you just like you should listen to me because of either my historics, the people's whatever's or my or my suffering or my um, obscurity in my like small sliver of intersexual existence, like I'm same sex attracted or Mm -hmm. transgender, right? And you say you can't talk, you let me talk to you, right? Mm -hmm. You basically have broken both of those fundamental human rules you seem horrifically self-righteous because why in God's name would we think you know anything just because you're in some group, right? How, I mean, how many people are proud of like Western culture and they have not read Plato. They don't know any of the works of Western culture. They don't know why Western culture worked the way it did and what parts of it were good, what parts of it were terrible. Right. And and there's a lot of African-Americans that like, you know, the African-Americans that grew up in middle-class families and like, mm-hmm. they didn't grow up in the ghetto, right? Like, so, so like, I think what you got to do is what, one of the things Thurman is saying is he's like, you got to, you got to be an individual and start there, get to know an individual on that level. But then he also says on the other end, you got to be every man or every woman. Like you've got to realize there's a shared humanity. And if you want to reach somebody, you, the best way to reach them is for them them to feel like you're the same kind of different as them. Mm-hmm. Like we're both people like, yeah, you're just trying to raise your kids. You just want a home where people aren't going to screw with you. Mm -hmm. You just want to not be attacked all the time. You want to feel like, and it's when you can connect on that level, that is we're different, but we're not different. Mm -hmm. We're different in how we're being the same. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like people really open up who are very different from each other and can really have conversations. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you do when there are people that you are talking to who don't receive that well or are more attacking or more aggressive in their speech and, like, even though you're listening well, still won't give you a chance to speak gently or kindly or truthfully to them. What do you do in that kind of situation? Yeah, uh, those can be difficult uh, situations. I think there's a a lot of the
2: debate going on in America that way now is uncharitable in that way. I think that's where we need to listen, and we need to try to diffuse. I still that doesn't. I think we still have the opportunity to share truth charitably, mm-hmm. regardless of what the response is. Uh, but but um, certainly antagonism won't help our cause. Mm. Uh, but I, but I, being willing to engage in the discussion and listen well uh, is is still a good a good thing, and um, being able to to uh, deal with the humility that comes from hearing that kind of vitriol may, might do something for our hearts mm-hmm. too. You know, there might be some learnings there we can gather mm. there. You know, as Christians, we kind of understand what persecution is about. We we recognize it's part of the Christian life, so there might be some things that we can learn mm. by gently sharing the truth, even if we're when we're met with some hostility.
0: Mm. That's really good advice. In case you don't know that that christian identity of expecting to be despised is not meant to make you like psychologically passive or something Mm -hmm. it's meant to say listen you're speaking the truth you're doing the right thing you you Mm -hmm. be this person you are in christ Mm -hmm. and a lot of people aren't gonna like it and that's just fine they didn't
1: like jesus yeah that's gonna happen
0: Um, but some of the people that didn't like jesus came around and some people come around some people won't and if you get that straight and you don't allow it to create an inferiority complex Mm but you allow it to like say okay people aren't going to respond positively when i'm being myself when i'm being who i'm supposed to be in christ then you can deal with people like that gently and humbly which is which is very critical
1: even if yeah. they reject you yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah and i've seen lloyd do that do like that what you talked about just like you just listen you really just try to listen to them mm-hmm. and then i've seen lloyd do this i've seen some other people do this and i've tried it's like you let them do you let them kind of dump on you what they feel like they need to dump on you, mm-hmm. and then do you listen, and then you try to figure out what their what their really what their hurt really is, mm-hmm. and you try to move sideways to that, right? So if it's a transgendered person who's like speaking at you really politically, oftentimes you got to listen to that, and then you need to move sideways and hear about their story. Mm-hmm. Tell what was it like growing up in that kind of family? What, mm-hmm. How did people treat you in school? Yeah in a way that they know you're not just trying to get information to dismiss them, but you really want to know about their life. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then I find in those situations, yeah. you can enter a completely different country of a relationship, mm-hmm. even if they were super politically adamant or ideologically adamant before that.
1: I found similar uh, in just hearing about listening being very valuable. Just, you know, on family and friends, anytime I'm talking with people, listening seems to be the really big thing that has helped there. I think that's true communicating in a loving way yes okay um in my experience knowing a particular detail about a person uh perhaps like skin color Mm -hmm. can help me be more sensitive to certain subjects for example when i'm speaking with someone who is black or african-american i think to myself that i ought to be more sensitive in bringing up a subject such as recent police brutality on blacks if we are talking about a kind of love that breaks down racial divisions Mm -hmm. Is this kind of behavior to be avoided or is this something good to do to know some details and be able to then be more sensitive about a subject or something like that?
0: So let me let me change your example a little bit before Lloyd gives the answer here. So I would say if I'm talking to an African-American person who I don't know real well. I wouldn't be like, so what do you think about that police brutality stuff? Like, that's actually, <laughs> I, I would say that's probably not the direction you want to go. Mm-hmm. But not saying something like, man, the police are awesome. They're just always doing the right thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's like in what you don't unconditionally affirm, or yeah. how you're careful about how you talk. Yeah, you can be sensitive, um, but otherwise, I think sometimes when people try to be sensitive, they end up being really insensitive. Like hey, what do you think about that shooting in Chicago? That, you think that's pretty bad probably, right? That, I find that that's, I'm often encouraged not to go in that direction, but my mm-hmm. black friends.
2: Yeah, it's hard to, to start a relationship cross-culturally with the most controversial subjects. I mean, mm-hmm. if I, I guess if I had to give a word of caution to anybody trying to strike out in a relationship cross-culturally, I don't think you should intentionally start with things like with African Americans, with police brutality, or if... if or whether not you should kneel at sports games. Or whether I should kneel at sports yeah. games, or if I'm, I'm talking to somebody who I, I know is a political conservative about how, you know, Donald Trump is always ranting. That's probably mm-hmm. not the place to start the conversation mm-hmm. uh, and to try to get to know people. Um, and so, um, you know, start talking about the NCAA tournament. Try, try to find some, some common mm-hmm. ground.
1: Before you start getting
2: into these more,
1: sure, uh, difficult conversations. But it know? sounds like, in order to do that, that there are, are certain level or certain kind of judgments mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we need to make that are for the relation, for the good of a relationship.
2: Right? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. I mean, like, uh, as an African American person, if I assume that every white person is a, a racist, or hates black people, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. That I'm probably not gonna mm-hmm. <laughs> establish any any common ground. I'm probably mm-hmm. not gonna have good relationships there. Yeah. So I think we assume that everybody's got good intentions to begin with, and then we try to build a relationship from there. Is the is the probably the best way to to go about uh, mm-hmm. these discussions?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in addition, in this chapter on love, uh, Thurman mentions how a Roman making common cause with the Jew would constantly be under suspicion and would never be trusted. Yeah. And uh, I believe that to mean that a Roman wouldn't be trusted among his fellow Romans right. if he were to show partiality to the Jews or be compassionate in some kind of way. Yeah, um, How do you love in the midst of this kind of rejection for the truth if the Roman were to know what the right thing to do is, and he does the right thing, and then the Romans then reject him? Mm um so this is a this is a, a real kind
2: of a consideration when you're when you you are pursuing multiculturalism in the church those who are in the minority group who are in a, a church are c- can be uh, perceived as portraying their race all right so this is a particular challenge that i that i go through uh as an african american at at high point church mm-hmm. people will ask me Man, kind of, why are you at that place? And they'll assume certain things that are not positive, both about me and about, and about High Point. And so you really do then have to know yourself. You really do then have to know the, the gospel, you know, and you really do have to, to nudge at people's um, uh, short-sightedness in, in those conversations. You know, you really do have to kind of push back on on the, the question w- w- would be, you know, w- what 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 ways are you, especially if they're Christian, what ways are you working to bring to the reality, the fact that in Christ we have broken down these natural uh, uh, biases and barriers through the gospel, through a love of Christ, through the spirit, we've broken down these things. So in what ways are you living that out, right, if it's not being in a church like, like in my case, high point, and how are you in your in your individual lives breaking down these barriers, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but it is it is a a thing. So when he talks about this thing, it's a thing. And I would imagine if a, a, a white person is uh, is at a majority African American church, I would assume that they would have this, a similar kind of. Uh, uh, un, maybe spoken or unspoken hey you know why what, what are you what are you doing over mm-hmm. there i don't know mm-hmm. that to be the case but sure. i would assume it would be
0: the case. do you think lloyd that it would there's a similar dynamic if you have like an african american pastor at an african american church saying we need to become more ethnic? yeah we need to be... welcome white people and asian people and yeah. latinos or at a white church when a white pastor yeah. goes hey look we need to we need to be more multi-ethnic, and that's going to look like us changing yeah. And over representing certain practices and things so that people feel welcome who and like that people are like, Well, why do you want to do that? And why can't we just love Jesus? And if we love Jesus, then everybody who loves Jesus is gonna come in and
2: I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that there is some capital in both of those cases. A a black pastor telling his largely black congregation that we're gonna reach out to people who are not black, a white pastor who's reaching out to a predominantly white Congregation and saying we're gonna we're gonna re- there's some capital that is being expended mm-hmm. and um, uh, and and so the conviction level has to be really high right in mm-hmm. order for you to do that because yeah. there are always gonna be people like why are we doing this you know do we really need to do that isn't it don't we give don't we do some other mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. don't we have fellowships don't we you know what I mean there's so many d- different things objections that you're gonna get yeah. Uh, so the question becomes, you know, you know, why multiculturalism? And Thurman talks about that in his book. He, he believes that the multicultural church is one of the best places uh, to, to break down these culture, these natural, normal, real cultural barriers, that uh, our unity in Christ is the one thing that ought to be able to bring us to, together, is what he argues. And and we know it's true in, in our hearts. We know it, we know it's true. The question becomes then how how to practically do it. Mm-hmm.
1: And that, and that's part of loving Jesus too, right? Yes. Like you said, like why why can't we just love Jesus? But right. that includes loving our brothers and sisters of all other, uh, of all other other races, uh, races. Excuse me. And go ahead, go ahead,
0: yeah. And one of the whereas where this gets sticky with with Thur- with Thurman mm-hmm. is that in order to do that on a certain level you have to be stereotypical in that you have to think what what are true about a lot of african americans as a group mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's true tastes cultural preferences child rearing techniques um so the guy who's um steve the guy in evanston
2: oh uh, yeah what, um Mike Beresford's brother-in-law pastors a church in in Evanston. Yeah, I can't think of Steve. We can't right think now. of the name of the church. But right he, now. like,
0: he said that they were doing something where, um, they had childcare. Yes. And they were inviting African American families, mm-hmm. and they weren't coming. And it was like, we don't do that kind of childcare. Right. Right. And it was like he was like, oh, and it just kind of didn't occur to him that mm. like a just a standard, like white church childcare practice wouldn't fly. In an african-american context and like sometimes you just you just don't know what you don't know and you have to kind of start out stereotypically like stylistically i'm going to assume if i want to be more multi-ethic and we have a very white church right i right. gonna be like okay we need to start getting more energy in our music we need to utilize some gospel themes if not direct gospel music hits yeah. we need to move our bodies and we need to express emotion not necessarily in anti-intellectual ways Mm -hmm. but we need to express more overt emotion right Mm -hmm. higher energy worship more like stuff like that when i preach there are certain things that i need to do better in in my preaching Mm -hmm. that are different than what i would normally do partly because of now now that's functioning on the basis of statistically stereotypical information right but that's all i can really do at this point does that make sense? It does
2: make sense. And um, so some of you may or may not know that uh, Nick meets with a, a subgroup of uh, people of color that attend High Point Church to talk about issues of, of worship and preaching. And uh, we, at our last discussion, man, we had a really, une- at least it was unexpected for me, discussion about class. And mm-hmm. someone was talking about, them being in our church and kind of because they're poor, right? Kind of feeling that it just—it was just sometimes hard to connect with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, these are the kinds of things that we can learn about when we talk about them in in a charitable fashion and are willing to to listen and kind of share uh, ideas.
0: That's a really great example because there were tears. Yes, I mean it was like there were four. There were like maybe eight yeah. of us sitting around this table, yeah. and this young woman was was crying, she's like, you just don't want her. and people were like, would you need us to buy a ticket for you for this? And she's like, no, I need you to understand. Yeah. I need you to understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what my day is like. I don't need any things. Right. You know, and then we had another conversation about a woman who is an African immigrant. Yes. And how she's like, you know, as an African, she was like, I don't know any family that has one parent. She's like, there's no family in my family line where there's a single parent. Everyone's married and everybody has stayed married yes. right mm-hmm. and like you know if you're preparing ministry for african americans generally you need to pre- you need to pretty much bet on the fact that a large number of women are going to be single moms mm-hmm. and you need to have support ready for them to help you know help them have a good church experience and to have this immigrant woman be like that's just not the case for me mm-hmm. it's not the case
2: so i don't even a, know what you're talking about so at our church at high point there's this there's this diversity yeah and the, the experience of, of Africans who are here at our church is a little is a different than the experience from African Americans that are at our church, I would imagine.
0: It's easier. We've done better with African immigrants.
2: We seem to have done better over the last few years. We've and the white church
0: I was a part of, Lake Christ Church Lake Forest, which mm-hmm. was very, very white and white bred upper class church that was very intentionally trying to be multi ethic. Mm-hmm. Same deal. Did that. really well with Africans. A lot of them were PhD students, yes. and then um, that music guy from Lake Forest. Yes, yes. I think has a PhD mm-hmm. in. I know music exactly stuff. Who you're talking about. Yeah. his name will come to me. From yeah, the yeah, it's so <laughs> like that we did great with like a very narrow demographic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and mainly African immigrants, um, but not as old African Americans. You yeah. know,
2: yeah, there are some different there are some cultural differences to to uh, that we need to pay attention to in learn about Um, Mm -hmm. but you know as an african-american who goes to church at high point i can tell you that uh, joy is a theme that resonates with african-american people Mm -hmm. Uh, expressive worship is a theme among Mm -hmm. uh, african-american people Um, you know a a compassion for people is going to work for african-american people and there are there are some things that we're, we're currently doing at our church we, we, for instance, we are intentionally doing more gospel music. I've noticed that uh, Nick's intentionally been um, been talking about uh, themes of issues of, of race and inclusion in very positive ways that that work. And so, um, so I, I cert- certainly see uh, progress and, and changes mm-hmm. in ways that I think are, are helping us along. Yeah,
0: I think we're doing a little better at overt attention. Like when people of color come in, people make sure people are greeting them. Yep. And not just letting things happen. Right. And I think that intentionality is is helpful usually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the children's ministry is trying hard to make sure that the way they are engaging kids and when disciplinary issues come up, engaging in non humiliating kind of ways to get kids which is a little bit more volunteer intensive, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. but it, like we're not having problems. Like people talk about like, oh, it's so difficult. And yeah, maybe if you get a 40% influx over mm-hmm. three weeks, I've seen churches that started like basketball programs in places where they got a lot of African American kids and like the whole program was African American kids and they, they got kind of over their head quick.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But like in a church like I was, where we're trying to make a 2% gain a year or something, mm-hmm and it's like a 7 year thing to try to get where we want to go it's not it's not hard if you just keep working on things mm-hmm. you know but it's hard to do that like treat everybody like an individual right recognize that there's ways in which we're all humans together mm-hmm. though we're having some different experiences and yet try to shape the experience on the basis of certain stereotypical norms yeah. of what you would predict like i don't i would never say from the pulpit that I wasn't a huge fan of the presidency of President Obama, right?
2: because that generally won't play well. Because I, I know marriage. something like
0: 98 percent of African Americans voted for him and and thought he was a good president, right? right. So like, there's, you just don't, you just don't say. There's a lot of stuff that like you just can't. Like I, you know, I wouldn't speak though. I economically, I don't think affirmative action is ultimately very helpful. Yeah. I don't speak against it as like an example of unintended consequences when I want to give an example because I know people who, if they looked at the data, they might say that, but they say, look, my, my father got a job at General Motors. And the reason I grew up middle-class was because my dad got a general motors and that was an affirmative action job. Mm -hmm. So in that person's story, they see that as a positive, even though maybe statistically it was a negative, for them, it was part of their their family rising, and so they can't help but feel like that's a don't bite, just don't say that. Like you don't have to. Mm-hmm. So I've had to try to learn, and in, in ministry, this is really difficult because I like sarcasm. I like to pick at people <laughs> to help them grow because I think people get comfortable and complacent, and so I like to pick at people to make them grow. And I like to pick at their politics, and I like to pick at their bigotries. And my own, and so, but that's difficult when you're trying to invite a group in that doesn't feel welcome. Mm-hmm. So, true. like, I don't pick on I don't pick on minority groups. I pick on young people. Sometimes I pick on older people. I pick on men and women, <laughs> people with money. I mean, I'll, I'll pick on and and these African American folks. They're in some of those groups, and they'll get mm-hmm. picked on as they're part of those subgroups. Right, but. But when you're trying to be overly hospitable to people who've been to your house before and didn't feel that welcome, mm-hmm. you just have to have a completely different demeanor, at least mm-hmm. for a while, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Nick, you mentioned treating people both as the exact same as you while also being their own individual. What does that actually mean and how, uh, what's the difference between the two and how do you do both of those things mm-hmm. together?
0: So there's essentially, I think Thurman would go along with this, but he doesn't say it quite this way, but he uses these categories. So there's essentially three ways you can relate to a person, and you could think of them as a spectrum. So you've got maybe zero to one, and then you've got like 0.5 in the middle, and it's a kind of a range. So zero is I treat everybody as an absolute individual. They're, they are entirely themselves, and I shouldn't make assumptions about them because they're themselves, and I need to learn about them, right? One, the far other extreme is... All human beings are basically the same. We want the same things. We all eat. We all love. We all want. We all want companionship. We're all trying to be protected. We all want security. We all want space. We want dignity, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're all the same, right? And that's true too. I can meet you from nowhere, and I can send. I can know there's so much the same about us. So much the same, right? And then there's what you might call the intersectionality differences, which are the the ways in which we are we are in fact part of groups. And those are just facts. Mm-hmm. And we may be more or less stereotypically how you might norm that group mm-hmm. within its distribution. But those things will be, there's stuff that's normally true about white people that's true about me. I mean, Lloyd could tell you that. He's like, oh man, some ways Nick is so stereotypically mm-hmm. white. And then in some other places, not entirely, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm Italian, not British. Mm-hmm. So, right? So whenever you look at a person, you're looking at a person that's at least all three of these things. They're just like you. They're an individual and completely different from you and they're part of a group, a set of groups that being those things have probably shaped and influenced them in ways that are maybe predictable, but maybe not. Right? Mm -hmm. And so every person you're dealing with is you're dealing with those three categories, Mm -hmm. but friendship and love takes that middle set of categories into account while it focuses on the two ends. How are we the same? What is individual about you that I can know that's different from me?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Recognizing that those intersectionalities or those group identities kind of hang in the air and those can help guide or make me sensitive, mm. keep me from engaging what people call microaggressions, whether or not you like that category. I'm not a fan of that category, mm-hmm. but there's a truth in it. Mm-hmm. The idea that like, if you know some stuff, you can say some things that the other person doesn't have to work hard not to be offended. It makes them not being offended or uncomfortable easier, mm-hmm. and that's part of courtesy, right? And so that's so I, I Thurman, Thurman helped me with that word that that absolute emphasis on the individual and yet that belief that we are all every man,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that those are key points in us relating to the other. For me, mm-hmm. gave me vocabulary and conceptualizations that are helpful, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I tend to focus on the every man that we're all basically the same and not enough on the individual
1: Well, yeah, because though, though we all are the same in a way, the, like we all seek security, we all want right. love, we all want to be able to trust people, the ways in which we seek those things mm-hmm. might be different based on past experiences or based on some of those subcategories or mm-hmm. subgroups that mm-hmm. might exist somewhere in the middle. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one psychologist I like says that we're all kind of like a chess game, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a thousand things that are dictated that are always the same. Same pieces, same things, right? Mm-hmm. But there's like several, bi- apparently there's like a, a couple billion different games of chess you can play, even though all these constraints are there mm-hmm. presently. Mm-hmm. And I felt that too, like I can I can counsel somebody and they can tell me a little bit about their lives and I can tell them everything about their life and they think I, like, I'm magic, like I'm a wizard. Mm-hmm. Because human beings are very predictable, yet... And yet I have this very, very narrow margin personality. My personality type is like a 1% personality type. And I very commonly am in a room of people and feel completely personally unknown. Like mm-hmm. nobody knows what I'm really like. Mm-hmm. And so I've personally experienced the individuality thing. Mm-hmm. And I I know what it feels like to feel isolated because your personality is either despised or like mm-hmm. people tip their head at it, but they really don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, so I feel like moving towards both of those is really fundamental to friendship, and therefore love.
1: Stereotypes was one of the things that came up um, a few a few minutes ago. Um, going a little farther from there, Lloyd, last time in our pro- in the previous podcast, you mentioned the tendency of tribal lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I believe uh, was a thing that Thurman touched on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while not everyone falls victims, uh, victim to these lies, could you provide some insight on some of those lies and how we ought to believe instead?
2: Yeah. Uh, a tribal lie might be if I ignore the fact that I'm being from Chicago, uh, c- uh, come from a community that is really struggling with black-on-black crime. Right. So if I'm talking about criminality, and I don't recognize that that's a real factor there, you know, and maybe increasingly more of a factor here, even in Madison, that would be to, to not acknowledge that would be perhaps a, a tribal a, a tribal lie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if, as an African-American uh, looking at, at, at a white person in America, a tribal lie would, would, be, would be, looking across the table, would be to think that 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 um, uh, the 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 situation between African Americans and whites as it exists in America all happened because of meritocracy and just mm-hmm. fairness that that has has got us to the place we are. Mm-hmm. That to me, would be kind of like a tribal lie. That's mm-hmm. a story that you're telling yourself that ignores a lot of history, right? right? So there so there are these, there are, you know, uh, certain tribal lies, And you don't think about them until you run into them. You have a conversation like, oh, that's not really, that's not really Mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the the things that we're struggling with in the African-American community is uh, 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 marriage and family. Uh, uh, The truth is I can can remember a time when marriage and family was a much stronger emphasis uh, growing up in the 60s and 70s in our communities And now I I have to admit that that's an area where uh, the church and the African-American community itself is struggling to get uh, our our younger people to grow up and to value marriage and raising a family. That's an issue. And so to ignore it would probably be an example of a tribal lie, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So those those would be maybe a couple of different kinds of examples.
0: Yeah, and all these tribal lies have facts on their behalf. So they're not crazy, right? So like you can say, um, hey, the reason why class is the way it is is meritocracy. And you can look at college experiences and people who were better than other people doing better than other people, right? Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. And that leaves out a whole like well, you know, what happened before this and were the schools similar and how do we like all of that kind of stuff, right? And so there's, with unless you pay attention to the argument against your tribal lie, you can find pretty convincing arguments for your tribal lie. That's not a problem. And there's probably several news outlets that will help you, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got to go, it's, I mean, it's like looking for skeletons in your closet when you don't think you've killed anyone. Like that's what this process is like. You got to be like, all right, I'm going to go look for skeletons in my closet cuz they're cuz you believe they're probably there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's scary because then what what happens if you find it is now maybe you're responsible to do something or worse yet, you won't know what you should do. Right? What do you do if you're like a boss and you believed everything was meritocracy, right? Mm-hmm. And then you decide that's not actually true. There's a lot of merit, but there's a lot of other factors too. And now what? Are you legitimately in your position? Do you deserve your income? If you don't deserve your income, who should you be giving it to? Mm -hmm. Who deserves it? How do you distribute this? Will it help them? How do you? And you'll find out that there's no answer to those questions. So now what? And one of the people, everyone wants to believe they're a good person and most people want to think that they're already, whatever they're already doing, they're a good person. But what's even worse is really honestly not knowing. That is a fairly intolerable experience. Mm -hmm. And in order to try to figure it out, you'd have to talk with the people who believe differently than you and see if you can sort out
1: what to do. What the right thing to do is here. Yeah, but
0: I've actually found that most of those people feel similarly. If they've been thinking, and so then they're like, okay, we can't totally fix this, but there's something we can try right now. And that is, as I've been, I've been working, I've been reading a couple of psychologists on like personal improvement, dealing with anxiety and depression and so on. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they say is, the way to become psychologically healthy is not to fix your big problem, but to find something you can do today. So a small thing that you've been neglecting that you can do today and that'll make a difference and then you'll be a little stronger tomorrow and a little bit more reasonable tomorrow and and you'll know more tomorrow and maybe you'll find another thing right mm-hmm. so like at high point we've said okay here's something that's not controversial we can read with kids we can read with kids nobody's saying that's not right everybody believes that'll help it can't, it's not, and it's we know it's not going to hurt like nobody's like oh man the unintended consequences of that are going to bite you like mm-hmm. nobody thinks that and so you're like okay here's a positive thing that isn't a huge cost to any individual person. It's not a huge political attack on each other. It's voluntary. It has no negative unintended consequences. It creates personal contact Mm -hmm. which will produce knowledge and love and mutual care. There's nothing wrong with it. We might get some gains. Let's try this. We know we can do this. And then who knows, in eight months we might have five or six more ideas of stuff we can try. And see, historically, I would argue, now, this is a little bit of a conservative, I don't mean political, but a historic, a historically conservative perspective, mm-hmm. that this is how most good change really does happen. Mm-hmm. It usually doesn't happen through big revolutions. Usually revolutions produce huge blood tolls, and oftentimes there's a regression culturally. Mm-hmm. Usually what happens is over long periods of time, people reassociate and reassociate and reassociate, and they make gains, and then they like consolidate those gains. So I think... I think it's, you gotta face, but you gotta start with what's the tribal eye? Where am I blind? And then mm-hmm. and then you gotta say, okay, who can I talk to? And how can we figure out what's one thing right in front of us we can try? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so reading with kids or you know, watching somebody's kids after school, mm-hmm. helping them get through the day. I mean, there's a lot of little things that make big differences. Mm-hmm. And most people who are from difficult backgrounds usually they'll say something like man it was really tough and then blank somebody did something that was not cataclysmic Mm. but that person said that made all the difference for me you know lloyd tells a story about a math teacher that Mm -hmm. really focused on him Mm. and most most folks have a story i had a teacher that um told me that my what i was thinking about doing for a living I tell this story a good bit where I told him I wanted to be a police officer and he said, well, why not, be, why not go to the FBI? And as a rural New York farm like farm country kid, I did, wouldn't have thought things on a national level were for me. Mm-hmm. I would have thought just being a local police officer is like, if you wanted to help with law enforcement, that's mm-hmm. what you would do. And he basically was like, you could do anything in the whole country. Why wouldn't you do the aim, aim higher? Mm-hmm. And that was t- two seconds. It was cataclysmic for me and my understanding of my future totally cataclysmic. I was like, maybe I could be lieutenant colonel in the military. Who knows? Right? And I obviously went a different direction than that. (laughs) But it changed me in a moment. Right? And I know that guy thought about that for a while. What to say to me and where I was going as a kid. Anyway, I know that's getting away from tribal lie, but like ultimately you got to do something with what you find them. Mm -hmm. And I found that the conversations that come can lead to actual things you can do.
1: That's good that's good. So taking into account some of the other chapters in the book, uh, Thurman unpacks the constituent elements of hate starting with context without fellowship leading to unsympathetic understanding, leading to exercising of ill will which finally lead to true hate. Yeah. How does one go from this kind of hate to the kind of love that Thurman talks about in this book? Yeah, I, I think he wants to unravel that, that cycle by
2: um, getting people to, to intentionally invest in relationships outside of their, their normal tribe. And so um, for the kinds of hate that he's dealing with, the, the, the disenfranchised, uh, dealing with those who have power, he's saying that the way to break it down is that they've got to come together Mm-hmm. in the relationship mm-hmm. that Nick has talked about. Uh, the, the relationship where they understand their their their, their identities, their their commonalities, um, mm-hmm. as well as their uniqueness, that they that they, that, that, that comes together in a relationship. Mm-hmm. That's certain that's certainly crucial um, to dealing with uh, to dealing with hatred. Um, and I also think just understanding that hate is evil <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, think, I think that's where our theology really can help us is to understand what is the difference between, you know, why does Jesus call us to self sacrificial love? What does that do for humanity? What does that do for, uh, for our society? What, what does that do for our families? You know, and, and why is hate so lethal to, to humanity, to goodness? And it doesn't take a lot of analysis for us to, to recognize that hate is going to tear down. That all of us have a vested interest against hate. If we want community and a healthy society, that we all should be against hate. Mm-hmm. Then the, the question then becomes in our to look in, in, inward into our own hearts and say, now where am I exhibiting these things, these hateful things that I need to get rid myself of? You know, mm-hmm. that would be the next step <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to say, yeah, I have analyzed the situation. I can see how hate is a real bad thing. And then I can say, now in what ways am I mm-hmm. living out hate? <laughs>
0: One of the things you talked about when we had a discussion about this with some folks in the church was that, so one of the things Thurman says is, he says, what I don't mean by this is blacks and whites as they relate normally economically, Mm -hmm. because there is intimacy between blacks and whites, but only within the safe structure of servant-served economic relationship in which there's a certain kind of agreed-upon structure. And he says that's not what i mean what you need is a context in which blacks and whites or whoever Mm -hmm. come together and they're they're coming together for like a shared experience so you could like in theory you could say like a sports game like if everybody comes in as a fan Mm -hmm. right but the main the main example he wanted to give was the church that all come in as worshipers of christ and all are sons and daughters of god Mm -hmm. and so they stand in fundamental equal relationship with each other whatever is true outside the church that in this realm of life, and that they are fundamentally on equal standing, and he says only in that kind of situation will you get the kind of contact with each other that will produce what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? And Lloyd Lloyd talked about this a good bit about how yeah. Thurman wasn't pleased with the idea that the church would get along segregated functionally.
2: Yeah, he just he just feels like it fosters when we it fosters hate. His theory is that just the separation uh, when we could choose to be together is, would be an ingredient that would foster hate. I think it's worth thinking about whether you buy it or not, whether you buy his perspective on it or not. I think it's worth st- stepping back a minute to say, um, uh, if, I, if, I, if I could choose to be in a local congregation that brought the, the cultures together, you know what, what? What might that do for my own soul? What that? What might that do for the gospel? What that might do for my family? You know, uh, I think it's worth a thought, um, even if you come to the conclusion that, yeah, ah, you know, I, I would <laughs> rather stay kind of in my tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, let me read the quote
0: and yeah. see if you have some more comments on it. Sure. It is necessary, therefore, for the privileged and underprivileged to work on the common environment for the purpose of providing normal experiences of fellowship. Mm -hmm. This is one very important reason for the insistence that segregation is a complete ethical and moral evil. Whatever it may do for those who dwell on either side of the wall, one thing is certain, it poisons all normal contacts of those persons involved. The first step towards love is a common sharing Of a sense of mutual worth and value. This cannot be discovered in a vacuum or in a series of artificial or hypothetical relationships. It has to be in a real situation, natural, free. The experience of the common worship of God is such a moment. It is in this connection that the American Christianity has betrayed the religion of Jesus almost beyond redemption. Churches have been established for the underprivileged, for the weak, for the poor, on the theory that they prefer to be among themselves. The result is that in the one place in which normal, free contact might be most naturally established, in which the relations of the individual to his God should take priority over the conditions of class, race, power, status, wealth, or the like, this place is the one is one of the chief instruments for guaranteeing barriers. Hmm. Might be intimidating to talk after that. that yeah, was, he said it pretty well.
1: good.
2: <laughs> Man, that, that's a that's a serious uh, mouthful. Um, i I'll, I'll just say this. I am um, uh, in a, uh, a small group at High Point Church. And I have been for some some years, and I, I guess I should be since I've been leading small groups for, for the last five years. And um, for for most of the time over that the five years that I've been leading this small group, my wife and I have been the only people of color that are in the in the group. Um, recently, the last year or so, uh, primarily through adding a couple of Asian Americans to our group, in their, in their case Chinese to be more precise. Um, I have just seen the benefit to myself personally from learning about their culture. And then our, I think our entire group has just been, we've just benefited from having that kind of diversity among us. And so, so we've got you know 10 or 12 of us of which about almost 40% of us now are people of color. And it's just really kind of cool to, to have an environment like that. And so I, I, one of the confessions I've had to make is I, don't, I really just don't know that much about Chinese Americans. I really just haven't spent enough much time. And so but now I'm without excuse at least once a week or at least about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get a chance to spend time with Gentine and, and, and to talk, uh, and to learn in, in Austin and to talk and to learn uh, from them. And uh, things that we're, we're, we're like and ways that we're, we're not. And, and all of us get to grow together. Um, And that's just an experience that uh, I just wouldn't have had without the without being at a church like High Point. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's really easy in
0: America in the normal experience. I mean, this isn't as much true on the West Coast, Mm -hmm. but like east of the Mississippi, at least there's a lot of this like black, white. Oh, I get it. You know, like, if you're white, you're like, I know what whites are like, I know what blacks are like. Right, right. And vice versa. And then, like, when Lexi and I went to Chicago, we got asked to do some ministry at a Korean church. Mm -hmm. Man, I don't know anything about Korea other than we get electronics from there, you know? And so, like, learning to enjoy kimchi, learning to, like, um, relate properly with the authority structures, because authority was a significant part of the cultural relationship, um, The amount of appreciation they showed for stuff we did was off the charts, Mm -hmm. way more than we'd ever expect. And then the relationship even of the kids who grew up in America with their immigrant Mm -hmm. parents was really interesting. But we learned so much about East Asian culture that was very helpful and enlightening and even instructing for how we wanted to live our lives. And that didn't happen when I was among African Americans Mm -hmm. in college because I felt like I knew stuff. Even though I didn't know as much as Mm -hmm. I thought I did, Mm -hmm. I had to like really learn a lot. And this also happened when I started getting involved with India. Man, that was a whole another in- education about how humanity could function.
2: Amen. You know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, as we break these barriers down, as as our communities become more and more uh, diverse, um, man, we can we can share the gospel. We can. Mm-hmm. I can. I can. I can invite a Chinese American to my small group, and know that it, there'll probably be at least a couple of people. That they'll that they'll at least have some commonality with you know, mm-hmm. and that's it's just cool to be able to uh, to do that, yeah.
0: you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and like um, I don't know if you have any more questions you're gonna ask, but it was nice and like, cool on Easter Sunday because mm-hmm. in the baptisms we did. Yeah. There were men and women, and there were children and adults, mm-hmm. and there Asians were and Asians and, and... and blacks. I mean, it was like it really was quite a yeah. quite a mix of yeah. people. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, cool. I got one more question here that we can end with. Uh, In the chapter on fear, Thurman stated that most of the accepted social behavior patterns assume segregation to be normal. Mm -hmm. He goes along this progression. If it's normal, then it's correct. Mm -hmm. If correct, then moral. If Mm -hmm. moral, then religious. Mm -hmm. Religion is thus made a defender and guarantor of the presumptions of segregation. Do you see this line of progression today with racism, or where else do you see this line of progression, where things that start off to be perceived as normal are then perceived as correct, then moral, then religious? I hope this is a situation
2: where the the time which Thurman wrote has a bearing on how that logic played out. So Mm -hmm. Thurman is writing in the 40s, 30s, he's writing in Jim Crow, you know, South, he was from Florida himself, <laughs> and so, man, I I could see how that logic would have really played out at that time, and mm-hmm. I, I hope, I hope at this point in American history that when people go down that path, they, they say, oh, that doesn't, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. that, that we're much more integrated in our, the ways that we think and the ways that we do community that that logic doesn't seem as fitting as it did. I, mm-hmm. So that would be my first hope is that people would look at that logic and say, "Man, I just don't. I'm not. I can't line them up uh, the uh, the flow the way he could when he wrote mm-hmm. that. This thing which is it's, it's so natural. I don't. I don't think my, my son Jared would say his experience of segregation is so natural." that it would be now religion, mm-hmm. separateness mm-hmm. is now a religion. I would hope that he couldn't come to that conclusion mm-hmm. based on his life experiences. But I,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I tend to think that the progression that Thurman talks about there is an inescapable one in the normal human psychology, that like whatever you think is normal... You're gonna think that that's probably right, mm-hmm. and if it's probably right, you're probably gonna think that it's right in the metaphysical or religious sense, mm-hmm. and then whatever your religious faith is, it's gonna uphold whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty normal for people, and I, I think that's how children grow up, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. what it's what's what so it means to become like a functioning human being is like your parents live in the same house, mm-hmm. and. They raise you, and like that's normal, and so that's probably what's right, and so and God's in favor of that. Like that all makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And so the problem is, is you get to you get become an adult, and you begin to realize that that's probably not true for everything you believe. Mm. And the question again is that terrifying question: is where are the skeletons in my closet? Mm. Right. But one of the things I think is helpful about the, the Bible, and about Christian faith, is Christian faith is has a lot of ethical critique in it. Even ethical critique of religion one of the things that the Bible is great on is you won't you won't really find this in a lot of other Religious books there is so much critique of religion and morality in the Bible itself So the Bible is its own best resource for critiquing bad religion Mm. Right Jesus does a lot of this the prophets do a lot of this and so for if a Christian reads the Bible and they pay attention It's really it's really possible for God to make that move the other way. Wait, this isn't religious, Mm -hmm. therefore it's not moral, therefore it should not be normal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And so religion, sometimes people say religion only goes the one way, that it it religifies what's normal and therefore upholds the status quo. That is not true historically. It has done that, and it did that with Jim Crow. It did do that, but it also did it the opposite way in ending slavery in America. It was because Christians biblically Mm -hmm. and religiously rejected slavery as a right, Mm -hmm. therefore demonstrated it was immoral, therefore demonstrated it should not be normal. Mm -hmm. Now, not every Christian bought into that. That's why we had a war. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time to kind of sort that out. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, um, racial reconciliation, the progress that has been made since Mm -hmm. slavery, Mm -hmm. has been the product of the reversal of that order. Mm -hmm. So what that tells me is reformed and always reforming. You must go back to the Scriptures. You must let the Scriptures judge you. You must let the Scriptures attack what you think is moral and Mm -hmm. attack what you think is normal. Mm -hmm. The preaching of the church must do that. And it shouldn't do it in this activist, I just want to tear everything down sense, because the normal is what we live in, and you should be very careful. But you have to listen because the opposite is possible. And so if you walk with Christ, I think you can have more of the opposite than than the normal that normal progression yeah
1: all right well i
0: guess that's what you got any last words on this lloyd nope i, I think
2: uh read Howard thurman I, I guess that would be yeah. my recommendation uh jesus and the disinherited he's got uh quite a few uh, uh books that he has written Come to the Howard Thurman conference that we talked about earlier. What were those, April 27th? Yep, eight, April 26th and 7th. At the upper yeah. Thursday, house. So, Friday. So come to the conference if you get the opportunity. And you can come just to
0: the Friday dinner. Yeah. If you don't want to stay for the whole conference, there'll be a dinner and some speakers on Thurman that will be very enlightening, I'm sure.
2: Yeah. Nick and I and... and um, uh, Dirich are going to be uh, leading some breakout sessions, so you might, mm-hmm. you might, you'll definitely see us there. Mm-hmm. Discussion yep. groups, there'll be a lot of
0: discussion mm-hmm. groups, so you'll get mm-hmm. to actually talk about this with other people mm-hmm. that will probably be different from you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, that'll be great. If you'd like to sign up, check out Uh and you can check out the menu. There's a button to register there, uh, April 26th and
0: 27th. Yeah, yeah, and um. And again, the the Jesus of the Disinherited book is like 100 pages. Mm-hmm. It's a very lean book. And so, for those of you who don't want to read 500 page books, this is a great one. You get so much out of so, so few pages. But it is a little like steak. You'll be chewing on it for a while. So, okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate you being here. I hope that this was helpful to you. See you next time.